If you've been enjoying my responses to Ernest Hemingway, you might also enjoy reading my posts on my Substack, JourneyCasts. There I write about my experiences as a teacher, short takes on a range of contemporary and modern poetry, fly fishing, the outdoors, the Adirondack Mountains, and many other topics. Check it out at arniesabatelli.substack.com. That's A-R-N-I-E-S-A-B-A-T-E-L-L-I at substack.com. I'd also like to mention another way you can support this podcast if you don't want to make a monthly contribution. You can go to buymeacoffee.com and find me there and make a one-time contribution. The address is buymeacoffee.com forward slash arniesabat7. Not sure why it's that, but it's A-R-N-I-E-S-A-B-A-T-7. And there you can find instructions on how to make a one-time contribution. Thanks again. Take care. Welcome to my podcast. I'm Arnie Sabatelli, and this is Hemingway Word for Word, in which I hope to offer episodes on many of Hemingway's short stories and novels. I will attempt to provide a complex analysis of his writing, pushing to consider ideas all too often neglected by traditional readings of his work. I will occasionally reference, critique, or debate with articles, films, books written about him. But mostly, these are my own ideas, distilled from many years of reading, writing about and teaching Hemingway to college and high school students. Before settling in, I recommend reading or rereading the work at hand and having a copy of the text with you as you listen. I hope you enjoy these episodes and that you will consider subscribing to the podcast or giving me your support with a small donation. For today's podcast, I'm going to take a close look at the story, A Cat in the Rain, from In Our Time. Like Hills Like White Elephants and The End of Something, we find another story about couples and relationships. Equally important for me, this story again emphasizes the moment when a character inside the story both creates and responds to the artistic meaning they're creating. Here too, we find Hemingway using point of view in a subtle way, which makes the story all the more impactful. Again, the point of view at first seems objective and external, perhaps, even maybe an omniscient voice. And at the beginning of this story, I find the point of view is even more veiled than in other stories. But I'll pause here to encourage you to take some time to read or quickly reread this very short story, A Cat in the Rain.
Right away, if there is a point of view grounded in characters within the story, it seems to be possibly a double or dual point of view. Quote, they did not know. Their room was on the second floor facing the sea. But soon the imagery gets more distinct and seems to come again from the woman's perspective. For soon the they-their constructs are gone, and we encounter a string of images that become more and more charged with potential meaning, and that seem more wholly grounded in someone who is looking out at the square carefully with the eye of an artist. And soon we see actual artists with their easels, and are told that they, quote, liked the way the palms grew, and the bright colors of the hotels facing the gardens and the sea. And all of those there was, there were constructions in the first string of sentences become less frequent. Instead, steadily we start to find more active, more telling verbs. Artists liked, Italians came, the rain dripped, water stood, the sea broke. I get the sense that what begins as an overview of the sense of isolation felt by one or both of the Americans stranded in their hotel room in Italy, something also seen in Hills Like White Elephants, American tourists in Europe, and this is essential to the story's meaning, more to come on that soon, this becomes a more intense, more emphatic, more singular and personal response to the landscape. Two early observations in particular stand out to me in this slow, highly descriptive, and subtly charged opening. The first is the line that the, quote, artists liked the way the palms grew and the bright colors of the hotels facing the gardens and the sea. What's curious here is that unless the narrator is omniscient here, then there is someone trying to imagine what the artists liked by looking around carefully at the same landscape. And of special import in this line is the word, quote, liked. Notice that the woman will soon note a range of things she likes about the hotel keeper, or padrone. If the point of view is hers, and if she is the one envisioning what the artists liked about the town by the sea, then she is in the next scene working to implement that same approach to her view of the hotel keeper. In other words, she is in a sense painting the padrone the hotel keeper, or trying to pinpoint the thing about him that would or should be attractive to an artist, just as the artist painters liked the town's colors and the sea. But perhaps the most significant and wonderfully poetic line in the opening paragraph is, quote, the sea broke in a long line in the rain and slipped back down the beach to come up and break again in a long line in the rain. This short iambic chiasmus is such a striking line, so unlike the other short, more direct, to-be-verb-based sentences that lead up to it. It's as if all those shorter, simpler lines add up to and accumulate into this more explosively poetic, lovely sentence. Notice, too, that the sentence itself acts as a visual representation of what is happening. The repetition of the sea sliding up and down and breaking is embodied in the repetitions of the words of the sentence itself. For me, I can almost hear the woman uttering that line to herself as she decides to paint the landscape the painters liked with her own painterly words.
We also find another group of people who sometimes come to the now empty square she is looking at. Italians came from a long way off to look up at the war monument, we're told. It was made of bronze and glistened in the rain. It was raining. First of all, we find another group looking at the square, the same square we are soon to find the American wife is looking out at. And several things stand out here. First of all, the Italians who come to this town the Americans are staying in come for a specific reason, political, historical, just as the artists come here for an aesthetic reason. But what reason brings the American couple here? I would say that since the woman is the one looking out at this scene and noticing these things, she may well be feeling a need for a better reason to be here as she thinks about those who regularly come to the now empty square. That just being a tourist, just traveling to see things for the sake of seeing them, feels empty to her, hollow, shallow, like the square itself. And here I'm reminded of a telling line in Hills Like Wet Elephants that I didn't take note of in my podcast. When the woman says, quote, that's all we do is look at things and try new drinks. That and the accompanying image of their suitcases with stickers from all the places they have visited points to how travel-weary that woman was as well. And in both stories, we find women who look out at their landscapes, who try to find more in it that can be of deeper, more significant value. Just as Nick looks to his jumping bass and the rising sun and touches the warm lake water at the end of Indian camp. The string of lines about the Italians ends with the simple, quote, it was raining, reminding us that neither the Italians nor the artists are really present, that it is only the American wife who is noting their absences in the present moment of the story, the rain falling, the square eerily empty. The revelation of the woman as the one who has been doing the looking all along comes in yet another fascinating painterly repetition at the beginning of the second paragraph. At the end of the first paragraph, we find, quote, across the square, in the doorway of the cafe, a waiter stood looking out. And to begin the second paragraph, we find, quote, the American wife stood at the window looking out. Those words, stood looking out, repeat as colors on a canvas might, she establishing herself as a visual echo or mirroring image of the waiter on the other side of the square. For me, it feels something like Edouard Manet's famous painting, A Bar at Folie Bergère, where the female bartender is looking out at us, and to the right of her centering image, we see the reflection of her back in a mirror, and then the reflection of the subject who is looking in at her, whom we, the viewer, become. The American wife has established here a painterly, reflective, transitional line to bring the story fully into her point of view. And here, finally, we see the cat in the rain of the story's title. As she looks out of her hotel window, noting with such careful detail, painting a picture for us and for herself, even using deeply poetic language again to do this, she comes across the cat, quote, trying to make herself so compact that she would not be dripped on. 
she immediately senses something in that image of the cat in her painting of the image of the empty square as having some affinity with her, for here we have more grounding language in terms of point of view. She must be the one postulating that the cat is feminine. It's referred to as herself, as she. And there she is, crouched in her room, not wanting to be dripped on as well, not wanting to get wet. That simple, subtle, gendered pronoun speaks volumes to what has begun for this woman in this quiet, reflective moment on a rainy day in a foreign country looking out at the empty square. And her first instinct is to go out and, quote, get that kitty. She could well sense the urgency of its deeper meaning, so fully that, like Nick putting his hand in the lake that becomes the pooling blood, she wants to have it, needs to touch it, to possess it, to quote-unquote know it more fully. And here, too, we find the first example of the woman using different words to speak about the same thing. She says kitty, not cat here. While her final lines of the dialogue at story's end emphatically repeat the word cat. For now, I would just note that the woman is using different registers of language, different words to speak to, to get at the thing she is describing. And soon we will find her referring to the hotel keeper, also using different words, padrone or hotel owner. And she also uses the Italian word gatto, cat, when talking to the maid. And that cat kitty distinction becomes important in other ways I will soon address. The husband half-heartedly offers to get the cat as he lays on the bed reading, and here we find yet another image of a male character lying down, not acting, as the female character looks out at the landscape and interacts with it. Think of Marjorie rowing away, Nick prostrate in the sand. And on her way to get the poor kitty, she encounters the hotel owner, who bows to her from his desk. Unlike George, the named husband, he's standing upright, and here she finds herself starting to paint another canvas for us, or rather, extending the canvas she began when looking out her hotel window. She speaks to him in Italian, il piove, it is raining, stating the obvious, to which he replies, si, signora, brutto tempo. And Hemingway here provides the translation, it is very bad weather. Then we get another explosion of a poetic repetition, language that clearly goes well beyond the simple declarative nature so many often say is such a fundamental part of Hemingway's work, she starts to list the things that she quote-unquote liked about the old man, the exact words she used to describe what motivated the artists in the square with their easels who quote, liked the colors of the palms and the sea, etc. As with her chit-chat about the weather, it starts simply, she liked him. But then she starts to investigate more fully what that means and I would say she starts to push for what that liking means or should mean for any artist creating a work of art. We find the following. She liked him. She liked the deadly serious way he received any complaints. She liked his dignity. She liked the way he wanted to serve her. She liked the way he felt about being a hotel keeper. She liked his old, heavy face and big hands. Each of these things, attached to the repeating phrase she liked, an unnecessary but important repetition, for without that repeated phrase, 
the whole sense of what she's going after would be changed. By repeating she liked for each thing, she recasts her sense of liking him as if it were all some one thing or part of some one thing. It requires the repetition to move toward the same meaning. And if you look at the list more carefully, you find a range of things here, both abstract and concrete. She lands finally on liking his heavy face and big hands, but she also likes that he seems to enjoy his job, that he is dignified, that he is deadly serious about receiving complaints. This liking, whatever it is, is large, is holistic, and somehow one thing, for she leaves with, quote, liking him, she looked out. So she is taking that big, multifaceted feeling with her as she, quote-unquote, looks out again at the square. And is that word like a stand-in for something difficult to say in logical language? She's talking about what motivates artists in the first case, but Monet didn't simply, quote-unquote, like the gardens of Giverny when he spent so much time looking out at its water lilies. And she stitches that sense of liking him into the canvas of her painting with, quote, liking him, she opened the door and looked out. And we find a third repetition of looked out. First, the waiter looking out at the square, then she standing, looking out at the same square, and now her in the doorway, having seen and been moved by the padrone, looking out again at that square. And each time, this looking out seems to gain in intensity and significance. And she feels this desperate urgency to get that cat, as perhaps an artist feels a particular urgency to get what they envision, letting his impression of them emerge from his brushstrokes. And all those likes are surely her brushstrokes, her starting to find a way to get him, to give an impression of what he means to her, She's a lot like Marjorie here, revising her characterization of the ruins of the mill from, quote, ruin to, quote, it looks more like a castle in the end of something, painting it in more romantic, more grand terms, something more serious, like the distinction between fun and love she uses, or like the woman in Hills Like White Elephants revising her description of the hills as, quote, not really like white elephants, just the color of their skin through the trees, the metaphor a far more potent take on the image than the simile, with the addition of those painterly details of exactly where she is seeing them, quote, through the trees. In this story, though, unlike in Hills Like White Elephants, the woman is the one who speaks the foreign language, which perhaps suggests that she is multilingual, speaking the language of the artist and the normative language, too. She understands the maid's, quote, you must not get wet, which Hemingway emphasizes is spoken in Italian. And in the whole exchange that follows, when she finds the cat gone, the use of multiple languages feels a lot like what we find in Hills Like White Elephants. With the maid holding the umbrella over her, she seems even more like the cat now, beneath a small circular covering so as not to get, quote, dripped on. The maid says, you mustn't get wet to her, in Italian. So the repetition of don't get wet that begins with her husband is also echoed and repeated across languages. Perhaps she is the one noting this, paying attention to this as the canvas of her painting expands. And then we get the untranslated question of the maid. 
ha perduto qualche cosa? Have you lost something? To which the girl responds in Italian, but translated into English that, quote, there was a cat. The maid questions, a cat? And the American wife responds in untranslated Italian, si il gatto. And then the maid speaks the title of the story in translated Italian, a cat. The maid laughed, a cat in the rain, translated for us into English, to which the girl responds in translated Italian, yes, under the table. Her Italian must be pretty good. And then, oh, I wanted it so much. I wanted a kitty. When she talked English, the maid's face tightened. I think these translated and untranslated Italian and English designations are quite fascinating and important. Let's assume the woman, the American wife, is in a kind of control here, choosing what to give us. Hemingway, surely the one ultimately in control, first by giving the translated, quote, a cat in the rain as the title, emphasizes that the title is a translation of something else, another language, another iteration, which emphasizes that the cat in the rain, the purportedly female cat, is a translation of something else still beyond the two languages with their rules of grammar and usage, an artistic meaning, that the cat in the rain says something the American wife works to know, to get, to like, or to translate into something she can more fully comprehend. And here, as with repetitions of looking out as she left the padrone, we find the maid's face, quote, tightened when she was faced with a language she didn't understand. And that word, tight, which is affiliated with the word compact to describe the cat early in the story, now starts to get used in a more artistically dynamic manner throughout the remainder of the story, especially in her second critical encounter with the padrone. The word tight appears four more times in the story after this first usage tightened, and each time it echoes and deepens the meaning of that word. And the maid's reaction, notice, comes from not understanding, from not knowing what the American wife is saying, just as the American wife later says, I don't know why I wanted the kitty so much, or I don't know what that cat in the rain was saying to me, but I so want to know, to understand. One other thing about the scene with the maid that I find particularly compelling is how the American wife has, in a sense, walked out into the very painting she is making in the opening paragraphs. She looks out at the square, then moves into the square, physically inhabiting the picture she has drawn for us and for herself. She notes the, quote, bright green of the table again, and to me, it's almost like seeing a painting you're familiar with where one of its objects is suddenly missing. Van Gogh's starry night, say, without the white, round swirls of cafe tables. She's thrilled to step into her painting, but finds herself, quote-unquote, disappointed. Note, she's not surprised or concerned or worried if the cat is okay, but disappointed, which is a telling word here and rare for Hemingway to use an adjective to describe in an abstraction a character's state of mind. In the maid's untranslated, have you lost something, ha perduto qualche cosa, may well remain untranslated for us readers because the woman is so afraid she has lost what she was going for, what she quote-unquote liked and was trying to get.
And now, back inside, re-encountering the hotel keeper, the padrone, referred primarily now only as the padrone, the Italian word, though she was unable to re-encounter the cat, she becomes all but overwhelmed with emotion, and something starts to awaken in her that speaks more fully and more paradoxically to the emotion first born in her seeing the cat in the empty square. We find a string of especially powerful sentences which seem to belong with the same urgency felt in that sea broke in a long line string of sentences. She thinks, quote, something felt very small and tight inside the girl. The padrone made her feel very small and at the same time really important. She had a momentary feeling of being of supreme importance. And here, after her disappointment at not grasping the cat, not knowing why he was so important to her, she does seem to grasp something here, to get something. And notice how this attempt at saying, this complex emotion that she is feeling, grounded in the imagery and language she has seen and is using, grows out of the developing repetitions of the language of the story. The padrone makes her feel something small, like the compact cat, and it is also tight, like the maid's face tightening. And then the more direct attempt at a logical explanation of it, as something that is both small and large at the same time, which doesn't really work logically, just as the doctor's logic fails when Nick asks him his hard questions. Something that even gives her a feeling of supreme importance. And this echoes Nick's feeling quite sure that he would never die at the end of the story after he puts his hand in the water. The American wife is also awakening into the powerful rush of feeling how much art can say that normative language cannot. When she returns to her hotel room, powerfully affected by her failed effort to physically get the cat, and then having her intense emotional response to the padrone, in a sense, replace that, give her something like what she hoped to experience by getting the cat. She goes to the table with a mirror and, quote, studied herself with a hand glass. So there are two mirrors, and she sits studying herself in those multiple reflections. A side note, Hemingway was particularly drawn to actual mirrors in his work, even as so much of the imagery is mirroring, in A Farewell to Arms, there's a scene I'm certain to address in a future podcast where the narrator looks at his lover sitting on a bed in a hotel room, noting that he also sees her reflection in three other mirrors. And in this collection, Nick Adams looks at himself in a mirror in Three Day Blow, but doesn't recognize himself. Here in the story, after looking out, she is now looking inward, looking at herself with deep intensity, studying her profile, first one side, then the other, suggesting that she's looking at one thing in two different ways, as if it has or says two different things, somehow the same thing, just as she knows the cat, the padrone, the empty square, all say many things at once. And what occurs next and brings the story to a close is the woman finishing her painting, working to get it, to bring what she liked to a level of completion, to find a way to say something and to know. 
she engages her husband in what seems to be perfectly ordinary, mundane dialogue, he having no clue that what she is saying to him has such deep significance, just as the maid can't understand her English. She blithely suggests that she might want to grow her hair long, that she's tired of looking like a boy. And then she goes to the window, and for a fourth time she is, quote-unquote, looking out. And the square is darkening, just as in the end of something, the transition of day to night echoes the other meanings of the story. And now she speaks, saying, I want to pull my hair back tight and smooth and make a big knot at the back that I can feel. I want to have a kitty to sit on my lap and purr when I stroke her. Notice how, as with Nick at the end of Indian camp, she is, at or near the story's end, gathering up the imagery of the story and recasting it. The small, compact cat, the tight, small thing the padrone made her feel, which is at the same time big and supremely important and small. She wants to grow her hair long and smooth in order to pull it up into a tight, small bun that she can feel. In these words to her clueless husband, she is saying something deeply metaphorical, something that has sprung out of and is the culmination of all that she has so carefully looked out at and attempted to grasp up till now. And even as she speaks this, she listens so carefully to what she is saying. Her quote-unquote, I want here, gets picked up and mirrored throughout her remaining lines of dialogue as she works to stitch together as many things as possible to somehow say everything that is occurring. Quote, and I want to eat at a table with my own silver, and I want candles, and I want it to be spring, and I want to brush my hair out in front of a mirror, and I want a kitty, and I want some new clothes. Here she is making a free-flowing riff on all that is somehow embedded in the image of the cat, kitty, of what the padrone has made her feel, of considering the artists who liked the town and the Italians who came here for such different reasons, all of it that she is trying to release in language, a language that, like the English the maid doesn't comprehend, is so difficult to speak and know and use. After George's, oh, shut up and get something to read, which I don't sense as being said in an angry or forceful way, but rather in a more playful way, like, what the hell are you even talking about? She looks out the window yet again, and now it was, quote-unquote, quite dark. So ironically, as her ability to see what lies out there gets more and more difficult, she starts to see and starts more emphatically and more purely artistically to express what she's seeing. I want a cat. I want a cat. I want a cat now. If I can't have long hair or any fun, I can have a cat. Gone is the word kitty. In its place, the more serious, adult, cat. And just as with the two mirrors she uses to look at herself, this, I want a cat, I want a cat, I want a cat now, may in fact be saying three different things, using the same words and even the exact same phrasing. She wants to feel a cat purring in her lap, just as she wants to feel her long hair made into a bun tight against her head, just as the padrone makes her feel something small and tight inside of her, which is at the same time big and of supreme importance. These, she starts to realize, are all somehow the same thing. Upon returning to the room, remember, she says, I wanted it so much. I don't know why I wanted it so much. I wanted that poor kitty. It isn't any fun to be a poor kitty out in the rain. And in her 
I want a cat speech, the word fun also appears in a kind of logical syllogism. If I can't have long hair or any fun, I can have a cat. So in that speech, which seems to, in the language of logical syllogisms, just say the same thing over and over again, the definition of a tautology, she is finally finding a way to say what she wants to say, but it requires the whole experience of the story to start to understand it and express it fully. She is the cat in the rain. It speaks exactly to something she feels that is, like all of Hemingway's writing, both small, minimalistic, and at the same time very big, supremely big, of supreme importance. She is awakening to the power of art, even as she uses that power to awaken to something else, some other spiritual need that the cat, the padrone, the totality of what she looks out at and then in at allows her to know and to say. When teaching this story, I found it useful to ask students to make two lists, one of things or words from the story that seem to belong with the word kitty, the other of things in the story that belong with the word cat. The lists are always fascinating to me. Under cat, I almost always get padrone, supremely important, dignity, artists, long, smooth, flowing. Under kitty, girl, her childish tantrum-like speech at the end, George just laying there, though that could be cat-like as well, the word fun. And cats retain their kitten-like nature, even as they become more poised and dignified and look at you as if they are creatures of dignity and of supreme importance. They like to be held, to submit themselves to you as they curl in your lap, and they will always play with a string or the right toy you send their way. The woman's use of both cat and kitty, her use of padrone and hotel keeper and hotel owner, her uses of Italian and English, that she looks to herself using two mirrors, may well all speak to the plurality of meaning embodied in things and the metaphorical and symbolic reach of things when seen this way that help us to say the things ordinary language cannot. I see this story as a remarkably complex continuation of what we witness occurring in Indian camp for the young Nick Adams when it happens to someone older, more complex, more capable of recognizing the immensity of what's being discovered. And at the end of the story, the maid arrives with a cat, surely sent by the padrone, and here the woman weaves this final image into the whole of the canvas of the story, her work of art. Here again, the language she uses shows us that she is looking to the whole of the experience. The tortoiseshell cat is, quote, pressed tight against her and swung down against her body. Not only does the word tight appear for a final time, but the way the maid holds the cat visually restates the image of the woman imagining her own long hair against her, shifts to against her body. The woman recasting, refining the language to include the word body, which picks up the image of what she felt inside her own body when she sees the padrone and is overwhelmed by him. And tortoiseshell cats are almost exclusively female. So the woman could well see this final image as a final mirroring image of everything, or rather, she could be painting it to mirror things already encountered by her and by us in the story. 
The American wife for me becomes increasingly comfortable using an understanding metaphorical artistic language. She becomes comfortable with the paradoxical feeling she most fully encounters when looking at and painting what she likes about the padrone. She starts to see that through the juxtaposition of mirroring imagery, that analogical as opposed to logical expressions can help her to speak and know that which logic alone cannot. To use other terminology, she becomes increasingly immersed in anima-based ways of knowing. Perhaps she has lost something, as the maid asks. Her, I want a cat, I want a cat, I want a cat now, which echoes the woman in Hills Like White Elephants telling her partner to please, 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 please stop talking, suggests she longs for some kind of physical, tangible, graspable connection that she isn't getting with George, that she isn't getting from being a tourist, just looking at things and trying new drinks, as the woman in Hills Like White Elephant says, not knowing anyone in the hotel, being foreigners, stranded by rain, not daring to get wet. She yearns for it. She wants something so badly in her life, and the whole of her painting of the cat in the rain, the whole of the story Hemingway through her has crafted, starts to tell her what that something is. She starts to know why she wanted that kitty so badly after looking out at the almost dark, then the all-dark square that precedes her final I want a cat speech. She would rather be here as an artist looking to the colors and the sea. She is making herself an artist throughout the story. Or even as an Italian come to view a war hero statue to pay respects, but not to just aimlessly be here as a foreign tourist her wanting a table with her own silver, for me, speaks to her wanting to be in a place where she belongs and has a more important, significant, authentic rationale for being there. By naming herself as the American wife, she could well be emphasizing her lack of authenticity, of having a meaningful reason to be here, or to be anywhere, maybe. Maybe even as an authentic reason to be, period, at any location. In A Cat in the Rain, we find yet another female character engaging in the world in a poignant and richly symbolic manner, all at once working to know herself more fully and to find a way to express these complex discoveries through the use of artistic language. And we find yet another male character who, while not as self-serving and shallow as the man in Hills Like White Elephants, still seems to demonstrate an inability to even begin to understand the other registers of language his partner uses. How fitting that the story itself is so short, so small, and compact, and yet, at the same time, of such supreme importance. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Hemingway Word for Word and will consider supporting this podcast with a small donation or by subscribing to the channel. For my next podcast, we'll take a look at the short story, The Battler, also from In Our Time, a story Hemingway only wrote because he wasn't allowed to use the story up in Michigan because of its subject matter. We'll discuss all of this in my next episode. Thanks again. <laughs>